Throughout the seven weeks of Easter, we're turning to 1 Peter to explore the implications of the resurrection for our manner of living in the world. Peter says that we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Christ is the means by which we are born again into the family of God. God has begotten us. He is our Father, we are His children, and He wants us to grow up to be like Him. So, how do we know what's right? By what standard do we determine something good or moral or ethical? So long as it makes you happy? So long as nobody else gets hurt? So long as everyone consents? In our nation today, ethics are based on consensus. We determine what is ethical according to what sounds best to the majority, or perhaps to a a very vocal minority. And yet the one thing that can never be good in our society today is to suggest that there are moral or ethical absolutes that apply to everyone across the board. In 2016, a survey found that 74% of millennials were concerned about the moral condition of our nation. But that same survey found that 74% of millennials, the exact same percentage, agreed with the statement, whatever is right for your life or works best for you is the only truth you can know. The one thing that is never good in our society is to suggest that there are moral or ethical absolutes that apply to all people. And you can see this impulse when, whenever a person discussing really any ethical question makes an appeal to authority. Well, you know, the Bible says, or the U.S. Constitution says, or previous generations believed, You see, for many Americans, these are simply not valid sources of authority when it comes to answering the ethical questions of our day. And that's why we are left to base our ethics on the consensus of the people. But there are two key problems with basing ethics on consensus. Problem number one, whose consensus? Are we supposed to trust the experts Which experts? Are we supposed to follow the science? Which scientists? Are we supposed to believe and empathize with victims? Which victims? Are we supposed to listen to ministers? Which religion? Which denomination? Are we supposed to listen to celebrities? Are we supposed to listen to social media influencers? Please, no. You see, basing your ethics on consensus is like building a house on the sand. It will never produce unity on issues like abortion or gun control or transgenderism or assisted suicide or health care or welfare or what, what exactly constitutes a just war. As soon as we politicize, we polarize. As soon as a topic enters into the public discourse, the idea of reaching a real consensus is just an illusion. 
Not only that, but it makes ethics a moving target. And so, that, so that's problem number one. Who's consensus? And problem number two is that the impulse to base our ethics on the consensus of the people is, is rooted in a false understanding of the human condition. The decision to base ethics on consensus is rooted in the belief that human beings are essentially good. If we, if we just dig deep enough, if we just try hard enough, if we just educate all the right people, we can make the world a better place. But according to the Bible, human depravity is our starting point. Now, I realize that I've just made an appeal to authority, um, but that is, that is kind of my job. According to 1 Peter, um, humanity was dead and hopeless. Dead and hopeless. And so God gave us new life and a living hope. He has ransomed us from futility. We have been purified. In short, we are not essentially good. We are in need of divine grace. We are in need of moral purification. We are in need of restoration and reform. And so that's the starting point, human depravity. But where do we go from there? How do we build from there? As Peter will demonstrate for us today, Christian ethics flow out of Christian theology. If you want to know how to live, you must first know God, who he is and what he has done. Peter spent the first 12 verses of his letter articulating the manifold benefits of the salvation we have received, a new birth, a living hope, a secure inheritance. And then in verse 13, he says, therefore, and he offers four ethical exhortations in our passage today. Exhortation one is to hope. Exhortation two is to be holy. Exhortation three is to fear God. And exhortation four is to love one another. As we will see, Peter roots each of these four exhortations within some aspect of the gospel, within some feature of the salvation we have received. Again, ethics flow out of theology. Verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So again, with this word, therefore, Peter roots his first exhortation in verses 1 to 12, which we covered last week. He says, you have received a new birth and a living hope and a secure inheritance. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. The phrase, prepare your mind for action, It's a Hebrew idiom. Uh, Literally, it says, bind up the loins of your mind. Or in more modern terms, roll up the sleeves of your mind. Get mentally ready. Be mentally prepared. Having been born again to a living hope through the resurrection, every follower of Christ 
must do the hard mental work of being totally focused on God's agenda. God's plan. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. Set your hope fully on the inheritance that is being kept in heaven for you. Set your hope fully on the future as God envisions it. God has an agenda in the world and human beings thrive when we get on board with his agenda. We have to align our our thinking with his agenda. We have to align our behavior with his agenda. That brings us to the second exhortation, verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Peter roots his second exhortation in the fact that we have been born again into the family of God. We are God's children, and he expects us to be obedient children. God wants us to be holy like he is holy, like father, like son, like father, like daughter. In the ancient world, children were expected to honor and obey their parents. And for the record, children, God still desires for you to honor and obey your parents. But whether we are children or adults, we all have a new father. We have been delivered from the futile ways of our old fathers, and we have been invited into the holy ways of our new father. Our ancestors were sinful and misguided, but now we belong to a new family with a divine father who cannot sin or be misguided. We have the privilege of following the example of a sinless, all-loving, all-wise father. That is the care we get to grow up under. And so for Peter, holiness means growing up under the fatherhood of God, conforming ourselves to his thoughts and his emotions and his character. All right? Peter's third exhortation, verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Peter roots his third exhortation in in two things. The fact that we have been ransomed by the blood of Christ and the fact that God the judge is now God our Father. Conduct yourselves with fear, he says, because your heavenly Father is also a judge who judges impartially. Your heavenly Father is a judge who judges with with penetrating insight and absolute total justice. The knowledge that our Heavenly Father is a just judge ought to produce within us a degree of fear and awe at Him. We're not talking about dread. We're not talking about anxiety. 
fear in, in this sense is, is actually a spiritually healthy thing. As you may know, um, studies show that, that young children actually become more anxious when their parents fail to set boundaries. Children crave the, the felt safety of a stable and predictable environment. They actually want their parents to exercise loving authority. And I, I think that is part of what's behind this, um, this God our Father, God our Judge dynamic. Because there, there is intimacy in the relationship, but there is also respect and submission. Our Father is a just judge. That means that he is stable and predictable. He is stable and predictable, and he sets good and healthy boundaries. And when we respect him, and when we honor him, and when we submit ourselves to his authority, life is better. All right, Peter's fourth exhortation, verse 22. I know we're moving fast. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Peter roots his fourth exhortation in the fact that we have been purified and born again through the living and abiding word of God. Peter says, love one another earnestly. The word earnestly refers to effort, eagerness, depth, and duration. We love one another with determination. We love with intensity. We love with constancy. We love each other to the very end. This means that we work hard. We work hard to understand one another. We are quick to move toward one another. We are quick to forgive one another. We give to others the benefit of the doubt. We absolutely refuse to gossip. And we carry one another's burdens when life gets heavy. But again, what what is the why? What's the why behind all of this? It's the new birth. If we are God's children, if we are born again into God's family, then we are brothers and sisters. We are family. Our life together ought to look like God's life together. The way we love one another is supposed to be like the way the Father, Son, and Spirit love one another. So, to summarize, set your hope on the grace to come. That is God's agenda. Be holy as God is holy. He's a good Father. Conduct yourselves with fear. He is a just judge. And love one another earnestly because we are family. I, I realize that's a lot of ground to cover. Um, but again, our, our key takeaway today is to notice how Peter develops this ethic. How do we know what's right? By what standard do we determine something good or moral or ethical? We either base our ethics on something inside of ourselves, our reason, or our intuition, or our moral instinct, or we base our ethics on something outside of ourselves. And for Peter, it's the latter. 
it is repeatedly the latter. Peter repeatedly demonstrates for us that ethics flow out of theology. Knowing God is the only solid foundation for knowing how to live. Why settle for consensus ethics when we have at our disposal the living and abiding word of God? Why settle for consensus ethics when our Heavenly Father is the perfect example of goodness, wisdom, and justice? He is the just judge of all. That means that what he thinks about something is really all that matters. And so thanks be to him, because he has not left us in the dark concerning these things. No matter what the world calls good, our Father, our God, teaches us how to live. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are a good and you are good and righteous and just. Help us help us to grow up to be like you. Jesus, let your by your resurrection we have received life and hope and a future. May we live in accordance with the salvation that we have received. Holy Spirit, as, as, we, as we navigate our way through um, a dark and confusing world, we ask that you would bring us back time after time to the living and abiding word which roots us and stabilizes us and inspires in us a life of grace and hope and love and peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.